I know you're counting on the holiday shopping season to bring in substantial sales, but what if you could use that seasonal rush to boost your profit all year round? This holiday season, capitalize on that wallet-out, ready-to-buy traffic spike by offering subscriptions. It's the easiest way to generate dependable, recurring revenue month after month, even after the holidays are over. I know there are a few recurring order apps out there, but my go-to is always Bold Subscriptions. It's the most feature-rich subscription app, yet it's easy to set up, maintain, and most importantly, easy for your customers to use. It's got subscription models for pretty much everybody, like single product, mix cart, box of the month, build a box, try before you buy, subscribe and save, and a bunch more. Now here's the insider info from my guys at Bold. If you want to maximize retention, they've got a feature called Dynamic Discounts, it lets your customers unlock future discounts after a set interval subscription, like five months or whatever you set it to. It's a huge churn buster. So this year, don't miss out on a chance to keep generating revenue from your Black Friday customers all year long. We're talking about bold subscriptions, and you can grab it free for 90 days by visiting boldcommerce.com or search bold subscriptions in the Shopify app store. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You already know the benefits of SEO. The higher you rank in search, the more visitors you get, and more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do it? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines more easily, and it's trusted by thousands of store owners. No surprise there, it's equal parts power, innovation, and ease of use. Think of SEO Manager as your optimization toolbox. Here's some examples. It can scan your site for issues, offer keyword suggestions, add structured data support, analyze missing pages and redirects, and even integrate with Kit, plus a ton more tools to help you be easily found in Google searches. Best of all, it's easy to get started. You can get started in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Seriously, I have met them. They are the best. And as a special offer to you, you can get 10% off SEO Manager forever when you sign up at seomanager.com slash unofficial. That's seomanager.com slash unofficial. Hello and welcome back to the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster, recording from EtherCycle HQ on the fifth floor of Westfield Old Orchard Mall's professional building, wearing my my Chubby's flannel shirt. I love Chubby's. I'm addicted to it. I have made too many purchases from Chubby's. I bring it up because they are a fabulous example of a Shopify store. Check out chubbies.com. That is, I have zero affiliation with them. That is a free plug. Gentlemen, you're welcome. Uh, and... Speaking of successful, super successful Shopify stores, I am joined today by a gentleman that has scaled not one, but two companies that he co-founded from zero to eight figures a year. That is wild. They both were started at um, seven, eight million dollars and are growing from there. I mean, just utterly wild. One being primarily digital and one being primarily physical. My guest today is Tom Ness co-founder and former CMO of Truth Nutra and former CEO at Kinobody. He has since left both of those companies to pursue a new venture. Also on Shopify, Rugged Naturals, a personal care brand 
for men, which it's not up right now at the time of this interview, so I can't comment on it, but hopefully it will be when this goes live. Um, he's a self-taught, self-starter with a passion for building companies that create a positive impact. He scaled two of these companies from inception to eight figures in revenue apiece, impacting hundreds of thousands of lives around the world. Additionally, he's artist, racquetball addict, loves all things craft beer and bourbon, is better at DDR than anyone has a right to be, and uh, also is a fellow uh, fellow Disney World enthusiast like myself. Tom, thank you for joining us. Ah, thanks a lot, man. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Okay, so it's, let's. Well, actually, it sounds it sounds a lot more impressive like when it's read back than uh, <laughs> than, than writing it. So yes, which is. It's interesting. Yeah, if I talk about it, I'm like, I'm the greatest. All I have to do is get somebody else to say it. Then it becomes truth. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. So, okay, um, you are, are you in Chicago? No, I'm a, I'm a Chicago native. I'm currently in Florida, uh, right behind Disney World. Do you, is, are you in Celebration, the Disney-owned city? No, so north of that. I'm in Winter Garden, uh, Florida. So, like, like literally right behind Magic Kingdom. Like, I can see the fireworks show from my master bedroom window. Oh, crazy. It is pretty wild. That's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. So uh, every night, you know, at 10 p.m., you know, we journey up to the bedroom and watch fireworks regardless of what we're doing. But, um, yeah, no, I was uh, born and raised in Chicago, though. So uh, this is probably a half an hour from where you're at right now in Joliet. So uh, about five years ago, I migrated south, and I don't think I'll ever go back. Uh, yes, as we're dealing with a, a another brutal, gross Chicago winter, I always question it. Fortunately, I have, <laughs> I have broken up the month of December. I will spend a few days in Long Beach, California that will hopefully either undo things or be just enough of a taste of sunshine to depress me when I get back. Okay, so you had – how long ago – you've grown two companies. Um, were both of these on Shopify? Uh, the first one started on Shopify from the beginning, um, or I should, the, the second one started on Shopify from the beginning. Uh, so the first one, um, we, so me and I had two business partners, by the way, so two business partners, and then that eventually became three. Uh, and so there were four of us. And, uh, so the first one we actually found, like I found this guy, his name was Greg O'Gallagher. Um, and he was, he had basically a really small WordPress based fitness blog. And I reached out to him to include him in an interview series, which was like what we called podcasts before podcasts were a thing. Yeah, what year was this? This was, uh, oh God, I think it was 20, 2011 or 2012. Maybe in 2012. Seems like a lifetime ago. It's not that long it, ago. It was like five lifetimes ago in the internet marketing world. So reached out to him. He was basically running a WordPress site. Uh, there were a lot of indicators that, um, that I thought would... Uh, that we could use to create a bigger brand than what he had, which was just a WordPress site. Uh, turns out I was right. But uh, so reached out to him to see, uh, to include him in this product that I was creating around basically interviews, uh, which obviously is, you know, predating podcasts. And it, uh, so it, it was just a WordPress site, right? It, but there were, he had tons of traffic and it was a fitness site. So uh, he had a specific methodology for either uh, for working out and dieting in a way that just created results very consistently. And so, uh, but he didn't know any of the marketing components to it. So like super good with the fitness side and the nutrition side had no marketing chops at the time, um, which you know, he's since has grown into uh, quite an entrepreneur himself. But so it just had all the indicators that I thought we could scale uh, a, a pretty big brand out of. What and were those, you mentioned that twice. What were those indicators where you said, cause you're on the outside looking in and you said, all right, 
I'm recognizing this brand as having way more potential than it currently exhibits. How do you do that? What are those What are those indicators? Yeah, so for the case of Kinobody, I mean, it might be different for other brands and companies, but so for Kinobody, uh, the site was getting about 30,000 visitors a month, so relatively high traffic. Uh, and so again, it was a fitness site. So he would basically blog uh, both written content and videos on YouTube around specific strategies for getting into shape, whether um, it's you know on the diet side and on, on the workout side. Uh, this is the interesting thing, though, and this is it, like it kind of blows me away even thinking about it. So there would be people like he had tons of case studies, right? Like tons of people that would just uh, stumble upon his blog, read one of his blog posts that had a really short workout in it. They would do the work. They wouldn't tell him about it, but they would find the, the workout online. They would do it, and three months later, they would send him a picture of going from like fat to completely shredded. Hmm. Like it, it was unreal. And but there was like tons of them though. There, like there was, he would include those on almost every single post that he that he created on his site, and yet he had like no products for sale. So all of his revenue is really coming from online coaching, and which obviously has a ceiling. You know, it's uh, there. It's a good business model if you, you know, want to have a ceiling and have a higher touch point with clients, obviously. But um, as far as, you know, the, the scalability behind it, there is a ceiling to it and a capacity. So uh, he had a lot of traffic to his site, indicator number one. Uh, number two, he had a very definable niche, um, and that was the whole creating a Hollywood body thing. So he, it wasn't just like, hey, here's how to work out to lose weight or, um, you know, here, here's how to like diet and to lose weight and work out to build muscle or whatever. What he did is really smart. He uh, he created his fitness philosophy around building a body like a Hollywood celebrity. So instead of just the blanket content around, uh, you know, like weight loss and muscle building, he would use Hollywood examples like celebrities in, uh, you know, that had physiques that people would want to build. Like one of the early examples was Brad Pitt in Fight Club, super shredded, really lean, six pack and everything. And he had a body that a lot of, you know, guys in particular aspired to achieve. And yet, a lot of people think that building a body like that is only reserved for kind of like the Hollywood elite, you know, the celebrities and everything out there that have, uh, you know, their own personal trainer and their own private chef doing, you know, all their food uh, meal prep and everything. And so what Greg did is early on, he said, okay, so here's the physique. Here's what it looks like. If you want to build this kind of physique, all you have to do is lose weight. So you, you know, get really lean and defined, and then you need to build your shoulders and your upper chest so that you know, it's, it creates that V taper. And if you do that, if you work out in this way, and if you eat in this way, that will help you achieve a physique similar to this. And the, the methodology that he put together, the programming uh, is really effective, creates really consistent results. And that ultimately, you know, it's um, that created a good product itself. Although at the, you know, the time that I discovered him, he was uh, just blogging about it. He didn't really have any products to sell. Um, and yeah, the methodology worked so well for people that would just, uh, they would read the content, do the program and they'd get the results and then they would share the results and, uh, they would be happy non-paying customers. So he had, he had great content. He had legit results. He had sh social proof to back up those results. Um, and he had monetized it through one-on-one -on -one coaching. Correct. Okay. And, and so, and at the time he only had, he, so I, a partial, partial lie. He had PDFs to sell. There is a, like a rudimentary shredding program PDF. And there was also a muscle building PDF that he was working on that he had kind of just launched when, uh, when I first, uh, discovered his website. Here's the thing though. He made like, because he didn't really know the marketing side of it, you know, he was really good with the content, but 
he didn't really know the marketing side to it. So what he did is when he came out with his shredding program, he created it in a blog post, right? So it was basically a PayPal buy button in a blog post, which is cool until, as you know, you publish another blog post and it gets pushed down further and further. Right. So literally the only product that he had to sell on his site at that time, uh, no sidebar, no promotion for the product anywhere, except for that one blog post that I found on page six of his blog post archive. And yet people were still, he was selling maybe four to five copies of this a day for 20 bucks a pop. So he's making about a hundred bucks a day, you know, around there, just selling this one $20 PDF that was on page five of his blog post archive. So again, that, you know, that's definitely an attribute to having quality content that people want to um, look through. So his time on site was really high and it still is. Um, but yeah, so people would just stumble upon this blog post uh, five pages in and they would find the PDF and they'd buy it and they would either use that or they would use the free content on the site and they would get results like crazy. And, and so, and he had this whole list of, you know, uh, transformations, these before and after shots that like were quite frankly insane. I mean, it's the, the, the transformations that you see on like Beachbody and P90X and everything that you're like, holy shit, I, that's like insane. How did that guy do that? And yet he had uh, like tons of them hmm. from this PDF and these blog posts. So then you showed up. How, how did you help it? Well, I'm going to guess that he was at, uh, if he was doing coaching and selling info products, I'm going to guess he's in um, low to maybe mid six figures. He, no, not even. No? So okay. he was about 3000 a month. Ooh. So about, yeah, about three Ooh. grand a month, which now, to be fair though, um, he had been doing, he'd, he, this site was about three to five years old. So, you know, he, he'd been creating content and again, like he was a master of the content, but not necessarily the marketing side of it. So the first thing that I looked at is I'm like, okay, so you have a product to sell has, there's no sales page for it. There's no promotion for it on the site. Um, but you have a ton of website traffic and without even promoting it and that product being as a, the only way to buy that product is through page six of your blog post archive. You're still selling three to five copies of this a day. So if we could, so it first sounds all, like this is similar to a thing I look for, for a good opportunity in a Shopify store, which is, are you selling in spite of your website? Like, are there so many yeah. barriers to entry and people are still buying that I know, like, all right, if I kick all those barriers out of the way, this thing's going to explode. So I love when I see a website that's successful in spite of itself. Um, yeah, it was, it's the holy grail, right? Yes. So like, you just, like, play marketer, tweak a couple things, optimize this and that, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, you have some magic. So what we did is, first of all, we made a sales page for the product. We made branding, like, we created an actual product out of it, not just a PDF. And that included um, the product graphics. Uh, we renamed it from instead of shredding program to the warrior shredding program, which um, is now one of the best-selling products to date on Kinobody. Uh, so we did the, the product branding itself. We did the sales page. We redid the website so it actually looked pretty um, and it was useful. It was easy to find content, had promotions for the product itself. And just by doing that, um, I think the first month that we actually, so then I, honestly, what I did is I hit him up and I'm like, dude, you've mastered the content. I'm really good at marketing. I think there's a big opportunity here. Let's partner together. I can do the marketing. You could focus on the fitness stuff. Our powers combined, we can really do something cool. And so that's what we did. And so the first month that uh, that me and so and I had two business partners at the time. So the three of us took over and basically went in like a little ninja team, revamped everything. And the first month we took it from three thousand a month to just under eight thousand, just with making those tweaks with literally like nothing else 
um, like no other traffic, no other anything, just re-optimizing uh, what he had, putting packaging around his product and making it a, a easy for people to find and to buy. Um, you, so we almost tripled it. Giving it, making it easier to use, making it a more traditional like business site experience, so more mm-hmm. brochure site, less blog, um, yeah. repackaging that stuff to lend trusted credibility to it and to really let that content shine because content creation is so incredibly difficult. So, and he already had that nailed. You needed to put it in its best possible position, doing no paid traffic, no promotion, just the existing traffic. That was worth more than two and a half times increase in revenue. Correct. Or approximately two and a half times increase in revenue. Sorry. Yep. Phenomenal. Yeah, and like, like literally, that was it. And then, um, you know, and then from there, it was just about what are what additional products could we come up with, and. You know, from there, we just looked, he had 500 people or like maybe a thousand people on the email list at the time, um, was not proactively building that at all. So, you know, likewise, we created a couple lead magnets and started getting um, more proactive with capturing emails and really building out a like follow up sequence and putting some attention where there was none into email marketing. Um, And then one of the things we did early on is we just sent an email uh, to the list and surveyed them and asking uh, what their biggest challenges were, what things they wanted to see from Kinobody, and uh, just tried to collect as much feedback as we could from the customers around what they wanted that that uh, we currently didn't have anything to offer them. So it starts with, all right, recapping that, you see the opportunity, you see the good content, that social proof, a good product, you repackage that with professional branding, a nice brochure site, make it easy to buy, make it compelling, put a sales page behind it. Then, all right, now that, that works to scale it, you get close to two and a half times increase in revenue. You're, all right, now we need other things to sell this people. And realize this is extremely good, especially with a, a smaller email list like 5,000. So then you start working on audience building more so, adding lead magnets to grow that email list, and then turn that into a feedback loop where you're using, you're surveying people to find out what are you struggling with? How can we help to figure out what that next product is? Because especially with info products, you want that product ladder out there. Mm-hmm. And that way yeah. you can... Um, extend customer lifetime value as opposed to constantly having to add new customers. Correct. Okay, got it. And so critical part of that, though, is that so as far as like adding other products, uh, we wanted to do it in a way that the next the future products could build off of the first one that they bought. And this was kind of uh, one of the mistakes that we made, I think, earlier on in the second company, Truth Nutra, in that uh, we we basically launched the company with five products. It's they're all supplements. It's a uh, natural health supplement company, um, but there were five core products, and they were very. They're honestly they're like phenomenal products, but they weren't. It wasn't as obvious why one person would want to buy all five, and so they kind of fit different niches. Like one was for blood sugar, one was for testosterone, one was a probiotic, um, and et cetera, et cetera. And so the what we did really well with Kinobody in the beginning is that we looked at the first product, which was a fat loss program, and you know we kind of just like steer stepped in, into what the next thing that people that bought a fat loss program would want to buy, and so we made sure that we released the products in an order that people could like ascend into the next level, uh, and a lot of people want to build like a, more of like a jacked kind of body, like you know big muscle, like muscle mass and everything, not just uh, like super skinny and shredded. And, but the, that said, a lot of people should start with a fat loss program to strip the fat off and then, you know, build a a base amount of lean muscle. And then from there, you know, switch up their, their workout protocol to, to build bigger muscles basically. Um, so the rudimentary version of it, but, uh, so that's kind of the track that we decided to establish where the fat loss program was number one. And then from there, then we would build basically like the next 
uh, program that people would want to follow from there so that everybody that bought the fat loss program uh, would naturally want to take the next step into the strength building program. And then from there, we eventually launched a muscle building program um, so that if they could follow this track of going from A to B to C, they, that would basically encompass their entire customer journey going from wherever they are to building the like the jacked yet still ripped body of like a Hollywood celebrity. And so, so that that's kind of um, and this is truth neutral or this is still Kino body. This is still Kino body. So Kino body started with all info products and they started to move it into physical supplements that um, fit with the programs. Um, and really what you're like, I had mentioned product ladder. Now you're describing something that's very clearly a product ladder because it's like step one, two, three. And here's the yep. products for that. Yeah. Yep. All right. The how did you um, how do you market the product ladder to people? Like seeing the um, seeing the products on the website and they solve these specific pains or problems, um, these issues that people are are having as they're uh, going through this fitness regimen. How do you market to them? Like, because it's a bit of a is it a choose your own adventure? Is it through like just walking them through emails? How does it work? Well, so there's there's two answers to this. There, the first one is what we did at first, and then there's what we did uh, to change that that ended up multiplying the business yet again. So the first thing that we did is we came out of the, the Warrior Shredding program, and then we realized that that was a, a basically primarily a fat loss-based program, and a lot of people wanted to build muscle or to get stronger. So those two, we could have combined them into one program. We decided to separate them into a strength-based program and a muscle-building program. Uh, so what we did is we, we ended up creating those, those two additional products. So we had three products in the suite, the fat loss, the strength training and the muscle building programs. Um, and then theoretically our thought was if they were at wherever they are, they should probably start with losing fat first and building a base for their physique. So we're going to put them in the warrior shredding program. And then from there, we're going to rely on our email systems post purchase to educate them around why they need to build strength next and then advance to the muscle building program. It made perfect sense for us. Uh, and, and it did work actually in the beginning. The thing is, is that you have these other scenarios where someone might already be really lean, kind of like an ectomorph physique, which is just a really lean uh, physique that uh, an ectomorph is, um, they have a, a really hard time adding muscle or like adding any size at all. Like they, those are the people that eat like just like basically eat like crap, but like can't gain weight for the life of them. Okay. Uh, I don't have that problem. So I, I <laughs> yeah, can look at I. something and like blow up. Yeah. So, uh, so we realized that there, even though that we had kind of established this perfect track where you'd start with a fat loss and go to strength training and muscle building, there were other people that needed to start in a different place that could, could start at the strength training program or that could start just jump right into the muscle building program. So we realized that, um, having all three of the products on the site that uh, that they could just choose from was it worked, but only up to a certain point. Uh, so what we did is it, it was around this point in time that uh, we encountered uh, Ryan Levesque's ask, uh, ask method. That's a game changer. Yeah, totally. Well, yeah. So the the whole survey uh, the the survey funnel pioneered our business. It, it was really there's no better word for it. Like it's, it's literally the one thing that we did earlier on in Kino Body that had the single most biggest impact of anything else we've done. And so what we did is we, uh, the goal of the survey, so we set up the survey where it was just four simple questions. What are you male or female? What's your age range? Where are you at right now? And where do you want to go? So starting position and ending position. We didn't even track the first uh, two questions. We didn't track if they're male or female or what their age range was. 
Um, those, as uh, Ryan talks about in his ask method, those are just two questions to get people answering the survey questions because 75% of the people that start a survey are like, are more, will more than likely finish it. So male or female, they don't have to think about that. The age range, they don't have, really have to think about that either. And then it gets them into the, the questions that we use to determine the survey results off of, which is where are you at right now and where do you want to get to? And so we would use this really simple survey funnel to as basically our primary funnel on the entire website. And so with that, what we did is it, it allowed us to take marketing to the masses and give the masses a custom or the perception of a custom diagnosis on how where they should start in the Kinobody universe, regardless of where they came from and regardless of what their goal is. And so doing that, it was one survey funnel. There was eight different responses, depending on what they responded to in question three and four. And uh, so with that one survey funnel, just installing that basically helped us triple the company yet again. Oh, so. my gosh. So initially, it's just like, all right, let's just set up a pro site. Let's fix this stuff. Um, then, all right, let's create a let's create product ladders here. Now, let's automate our e- – add lead magnets to grow the audience. Now, let's uh, – to really dial in that email marketing, let's add a layer of lifecycle email marketing automation using – um, these survey methods, uh, as described in, in Ryan Levick's uh, ask, which is really a very quick read, and I will link to it in the show notes. Um, I That was a, a game changer yeah. for me. It was a phenomenal book. Uh, highly How, recommend it. So out of curiosity, do you use survey funnels right now in either EtherCycle or any of your other businesses? Yes, not well, um, but even like the limited uh, implementation we did is just tremendous, um, especially like you could see it uh, in selling the uh, our info product or book e-commerce boot camp. Um, mm-hmm. That when we launched that, I almost like within um, within ninety days, I implemented it. The stuff I learned at Ask and really, it's quite tremendous. I man, I honestly, I think survey funnels are probably the single most underrated uh, marketing tool that people have in their arsenal that they're not using. And, and I think that because what, honestly, with Kinobody, all of our Facebook ads, or not all of them, but most of the Facebook ads that we scaled the company with, they all promote the angle of the survey. And the survey for us is, um, we'll help you, we'll show you what you need to do personally to build the body that you want. And then all, again, it's just four simple questions. And then from there, we can take any of the sales pages that we have and show any person the right sales page, even though we don't know who they are when they came to the survey funnel. And yet, by helping them navigate that survey funnel, we can we can show them an ad and say, "Hey, if you want to build a body like a Hollywood celebrity, uh, take this quick survey. It's only four questions, and we'll show you exactly what you need to do." Then they go through the survey, and then we can talk to people very specifically and say, "Okay, so you said that you're fat and you want to get super shredded. Okay, here's what you need to do first: do A, B, and C. By the way, we have a program that helps you do that even faster. It's called the Warrior Shredding Program. Click here to read more about it." And so you can take these this this marketing that is normally done to the masses, and you can distill it into something that is as close to a one-on-one conversation as you can probably get with, you know, a two-minute time span in a in a mass-marketed uh, you know ad on Facebook. And like, if you can do that, just obviously that's a fitness uh, market example. But if you can do that in your business and figure out um, like the different buckets of your of your uh, of your audience. And how you can shuttle them through a survey funnel to, you know, a related offer. I mean, it's honestly like it's it. Like I said, it multiplied our business just one single sales funnel. So the magic to scaling, I'm hearing, is uh, automate, segmentation, personalize. So if I can have a system yeah. 
that lets people essentially it turns my marketing into a choose your own adventure for them. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, question, result, and by the way, here's the product that fits the exact thing you just told us you're having an issue with. It turns your website, um, and by website I mean like the larger online presence into your 24/7, 365 best salesperson, uh, and Correct. it scales, which is so cool because you don't have to have like there's not someone manning a chatbot. Speaking of chatbots, you could then you could build this exact same thing using ManyChat as a Facebook Messenger chatbot. That would be cool. I think that's probably um, uh, we're seeing more oh, yeah. of that, and that really lends itself very well to this. Works. It's very easy to do this. Um, you could do uh, any totally. any email software now could probably manage this. Like I mean, Clavio could do it. Um, Drip can do it to do um, simple email marketing automation funnels. Um, and if you want to get really nuts. On-site personalization. So once the, you have segmented that person out, can you change your website, like change the calls to action to fit the thing they already told you? Um, and using See, something that, uh, that's next level. Yes, and that's the th- like. Totally. I've started to play with that this year. It's not on a lot of people's radar, but it's really cool. Um, Brennan Dunn's Right Message service, RightMessage.com, does it. Uh, mm-hmm. When we heard from um, Clavio's product officer. Uh, in a, a recent episode, they just said that's on the radar. That uh, it sounded like that was coming next year was on-site personalization based on Clavio segmentation. Oh my gosh, that would be incredibly oh, powerful. Oh man, well, especially with how granular you can get with segmenting with Clavio in general, like yeah. that, that would be killer. Okay. See, we, I have, I honestly have not even looked into that because there's, like, the, I think the problem with most marketers is that. You hear one thing and it leads you down a rabbit hole, and all of a sudden you have like an entire list of things that you yep. should have done three weeks ago. Yeah, and uh, and so it's really just about prioritizing, and and you know, unfortunately, the on-site personalization isn't something that I've even had time to allocate towards figuring out. But yeah, it's on the list, far down the list, but it is on there. All right, so hindsight's twenty twenty. Looking in the rearview mirror, tell me, walk me through like your. When you're looking for one of these opportunities, what your checklist looks like? What do you look for when you're like, all right, I, I could scale this business. I want to partner with this person or I want to start this company that does X. What is that? What is what is Tom's checklist look like in his head? Well, so this is probably going to vary based on the type of business. Um, if I was looking at another information marketing business like uh, Kinobody back then, um, I would look forward is the site. Does the site get traffic? You know, so are you are you leveraging an existing audience, or are you going to have to build your own? Um, that's really important. Kinobody fortunately had you know thirty thousand visitors, unique visitors a month. So there's already something that we could take and turn around and repackage to existing people. Um, second of all, is the is there a definable market of people? Like, are are you servicing a definable market? And using Kinobody as an example, it wasn't just a dieting website. It wasn't just a working out or a muscle building website. It was specifically showing you how to build a body like a Hollywood celebrity. And that created, that was actually like, he was one of the first uh, websites to even create content around that. And, you know, keep in mind, this is like, what, eight, nine years ago now. So, um, I mean, time flies, but so is there uh, is there a market like a segment of the market that you're talking to? Because if like the whole like just weight loss and muscle building anymore, um, it's too generalized to even matter. So uh, is there a definable market that you're serving? And uh, probably the third thing on the information side is, um, can you create products that are different from what's out there? So like, do you have a differentiator from what's currently in the market? And you know, again, using Kinobody as the example. 
there were Greg found a combination a combination of uh, working out and dieting in a way that created a really uh, consistent result pattern. And so you could follow anybody could follow this program and get this result. And until you have a product that is that effective and that consistent, I think you really need to keep refining it and going back to the drawing board and um, you know, just keep refining the product until it's the best that it possibly can be. So that's probably what I would say on the information marketing side. Um, yeah, I think just those three. I, I like that you, you kept it. Uh, it's simple. It's succinct. It's three key opportunities. So then mm-hmm. once you've identified one of those, what in what do you focus on when scaling? Because like to your point about you know, uh, the problem with marketing is, you know, it, you go down rabbit holes. It's like pulling the thread on a sweater and it's like in shiny toy syndrome. It is so easy <laughs> to go to like l- spend a month on marketing your business and then look back on it and discover, oh, geez, I went an inch in every direction instead of a mile forward. Uh, yeah. How? That's the problem. Yes. So how do you focus when uh, when scaling a business? What do you focus on? Um, knowing that the problem is people just like take a shotgun approach and get nowhere. Yeah. So, well, so first of all, I think installing some kind of dis- decision filter in place so that you can prioritize opportunities as they come in. Uh, that's probably number one because they're j- case in point. If you anybody that's into business or marketing or whatever, they probably listen to about fifteen to twenty different podcasts. Hopefully, they listen to the unofficial Shopify podcast. They probably do, um, but they probably also listen to ten or fifteen other ones as well. And that's really good, comma, however, it can be really bad when there's a different strategy talked about in every episode you listen to on, let's say, a 45-minute commute to work. And all of a sudden, you get to work and you have like five new ideas. Well, the problem is you get to work and let's say, I, and I use that example because I used to drive to a physical office and um, I would listen to podcasts on the way to work. And it's cool, but you know you have, you show up to the office with five new ideas, and then you also already have the entire project board mapped out for the next two months. So all of a sudden, uh, creating an impact filter for how you make decisions and prioritize things that you're working on is is extremely critical. So that would probably be number one. So first of all, like install some kind of decision uh, making filter to help you prioritize opportunities as they come in. Just because you hear a podcast or read information about someone crushing it on Pinterest doesn't mean that you need to completely drop everything you're doing and go crack the Pinterest ad code, right? So I would do that, number one. Um, and Like, number one, people overcomplicate it, I think is your point. Yeah, um, totally. And they, they get shiny toy syndrome where it's like you're doing that research, you're doing your due diligence and, and staying abreast of all these things, but then you end up, you feel compelled um, to do all of them. And that's why on the show often I'm like, Hey, don't like when we walk through, like, here's about like 40 things you have to do before black Friday, just pick one, don't pick 40, like do the thing that fits. And if you're listening to an episode, you go, this doesn't apply to me, turn it off. You don't have to listen to me. I'm not offended. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. Have that focus. So I think your, your point was like, first, number one, have some kind of decision-making filter. And it could be something as like Derek Seavers. If it's not a hell, if it's not a hell yeah, then it's no. Um, yeah. That's a I, good one. I just revisited his article. He just edited it a little bit um, on that. If it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. Um, saying like, hey, the most successful people say no to almost everything. And I th- that that's where I think you were going. Yeah, when it just helps you retain focus on the things you're already doing. So I so then step number two is focus. Like there, you don't have to be everywhere doing everything. You need to do like fewer things better. 
And so that's another one. So now those two examples are just vague. So install decision-making filter so you can prioritize new opportunities. And then what does your decision-making filter look like? Well, you just kind of describe it. It's like a typical impact filter is uh, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? What result is it going to have? What happens if you do it really well? And what happens if you don't do it well at all? And so you use kind of an impact filter to assess an opportunity cost that if you decide to spend your time doing this, What's the result that it's going to have in your business, um, and if and what's the what's the impact that it's going to have um, if you allocate the time and the resources to do it, and what impact will it have if you don't allocate the time and resources to do it? So if you can follow, and then I think probably one step further from that is creating a hypothesis around um, you know different opportunities that you find, so that you can you it basically like you you want to be able to at the end of the day, you want to do fewer things. Like I would focus on one thing. Like I'd read, probably read the one thing. Um, I forgot the author of it, but it's like the book is called the one thing. Yeah, I'll put it in the show. Yeah. So, uh, I'd definitely read that book first of all, but so everything that you do has an opportunity cost. And if you try to do too much, then like you said, you just end up doing a little bit on a lot of things rather than doing one thing to completion and actually getting a result from it. Um, and this I think is especially true with, uh, either entrepreneurs or new business owners that, again, listen to podcasts or just con- kind of get in this loop of consuming too much content and they mistake consuming content with being productive when they're yes. not being productive. Like being productive is being productive. Uh, being effective is being productive. They're busy, not a, not effective or productive. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, and then so you have, you know, these, these people that are new to business that are busy nonstop, like 24-7, and yet they have really not started anything yet. And wear it like a badge of honor on top of it. Yeah, it's like the whole like the Gary V crowd where like Gary V is like busy, but he's also like doing a lot of shit. He's like shipping a lot of things. He's not just busy all day to say that he's busy. Um, and so, I mean, ultimately experience is going to be is going to trump any education that you read or watch online anyway. But, um, you know, just focus on like so the whole creating a hypothesis around like if you do this, like this is what I think will happen. And then follow that up with actually trying to do that thing and then seeing if you were if your original hypothesis was correct or not, which is more prevalent in like A-B testing and just, you know, testing in general on your website. But, um, but it's also like, it's also applicable to like the beginning stages of business where like, okay, if I spend all day setting up this website, I, my hypothesis is that I will have something that's operational by the end of the day. So if you spend all day doing that, you know, how far did you get? Were you, you know, were you somewhat accurate with what you thought was going to happen or not? And then, you know, just take it a day at a time, but also, again, the decision-making filter of, you know, how you prioritize new opportunities, um, I would probably look at least, like, probably two to three weeks into the future and try to plan out your time in, in at least two-week blocks so you can have a rough perception of how much you're doing over an extended period of time more than a day so that um, you can actually see, you can look back and see if you're actually making progress or if you're actually getting closer to a goal. Having those, you need to have some kind of, you know, I tell people focus on, to help give them this framework, I tell people focus on one KPI at a time, one key performance indicator, and just mm-hmm. try it like of your, your e-commerce KPIs, like conversion rate, add to cart rate, average order value, returning customer rate, you figure out which one is the weakest link in the chain and just focus on that for 30 days. And at the end of the 30 days, assess, did I, adequ- did I adequately improve it? If yes, okay, let's move on to the next poorest performer and then just go round robin on that. Um, and that gives you the framework that gives them the focus to keep doing this. In my own business, I mean, I, 
I start started with something as simple as, does this further my business? Yes, no. If yes, mm -hmm. how? And then, okay, does it have an opportunity cost? Yes, no. Um, and in a sense, everything does, but like to what degree? And then that, that's Correct. very simple. And then um, f yeah, furthering that, when I really committed to that at the end of last year, I dumped, we had oh, tons of domain names and side projects and goofy um, websites. And, uh, I sold the stuff. I got either just set them to not renew and ignored it, gave them away to friends, or uh, sold a few on Flippa. And it, it's been tremendous. This was our best year ever as a result. I think the um, I, so I think when you get into the, mar the like internet marketing business stuff, I think you like just you kind of go domain crazy, right? And you just buy <laughs> yes. like everything. You're like, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to buy the domain, but like all variations of the domain, the .us and .gov and like .tv and like you go crazy with it. And I think like probably the hallmark of like restraint uh, is being able to let domains go that you know that you're not going to use. Yes. Yeah, you know, it's, so. it's such a weird. That's how you you can see yourself maturing as an internet marketer is when you under, <laughs> when you've got the experience to go. You know what? It's time to let these forty domain names expire and just go back into the world. <laughs> yeah, when and, you know, like random things. Like I had, I had like domains for like this. It was basically going to be like a bolt-on for like dog shelters, where it was like a Tinder for dog like dogs, where <laughs> not like not for dogs and find other dogs, but like for you to match your, your, like your perfect dog. And so it, it would integrate with all the shelters, like in a locality and you'd like swipe left or right to, you know, if you like the dog or not. And then you'd obviously be able to enter like parameters of like high energy, low energy, a lot of apartments, a lot of space, not a lot of apartment space, et cetera. Um, and then it would match the dogs given a specific locality. And anyway, so I had this whole plan mapped out for it and I'm like, I'm never going to fucking do this. And so <laughs> I eventually just let all five of the permutations of the domain lapse a couple years ago. And, I think that since then, man, I think I've been doing a lot better. Yeah, I think it's like it's freeing when you when you finally are like, it's okay to not do all of the goofball ideas I have, even <laughs> if they could have possibly been good. It's okay to just let them go and focus on like. And I think part like what helps is, better, um, and I learned this from uh, Dan Cox uh, from uh, from The Bachelorette, and um, who's been on the show before, has a couple stores. Um, he was talking about learning your why. Like, you have to know what your why is. And I find, mm -hmm. like, when I figured out my why, it's help my friends, and by friends I mean people I like, help my friends make more money. That's it. Like, yeah. it, like that, it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. So once I knew that, then, all right, what fits into that? And it's like e-commerce businesses or info products related e-commerce because those are things I'm good at. Okay. Yeah. Well, so now let's go back to one of the original questions that you had asked that we kind of went on a tangent, uh, oh, yeah. largely, like, my fault. But... Uh, so like, what are the things that I would do to scale the company? Yeah. And, oh yeah. yeah so tell me. Remember, I, help me remember make more money. One? Yeah. So, so first of all, like, so the, I think like step 0 0.1 and 0 0.2 were to create the decision filter. And then, uh, that was 0.1 and then 0.2 would be, um, just like focusing, just the, being able to focus on one thing at a time. But as far as like the tactical things, what we did is we looked at what other products we could create that would serve our existing customer base. And so I think that's a really important one because I think a lot of people also get it wrong where um, they just like they add what they want to add rather than what the customers want them to add. Yes. And and so and I think it's that's why very early on we surveyed our customer list and we're like, hey, what do you want from us? Like what are and what? That's, are, a, that's a decision framework in itself. Yeah. What well, it, it it's collecting the data and having them make the decision for you yes so but it's like it, it's it doesn't matter if you create the best product that nobody wants to buy 
So you can create like, and, and I don't even know why you do that. Like, why would you create a product that you want to make? I'll tell you how it happens. Why? So well, when you just create something that people actually tell you that they want to buy. It, it's not obvious to people and it's an easy trap to fall into because one of the, you know, we're on, um, we're over 200 episodes now and there are recurring themes in successful Shopify merchants and entrepreneurs. And one is like, they see a painter problem in their own life, you know, like, mm-hmm. All right. Uh, they see a pain problem in their own life. They look at the existing solutions. They go, these solutions suck. And they say, I, I could do something better. And then they ask themselves, why not me? Why, why don't I do that? And then they do it and they see success. <laughs> and when you have like this initial tremendous success from building a thing for yourself, it's very easy to go, well, you know, I know what people want. I could build the next one. And it like, and then it, it becomes problematic because it, it worked the first time. It may not work the second time. Um, yeah. But to answer so your question, I think positive. that's what's going on, is you have survivorship bias. You're like, listen, I survived the first idea, so clearly the second one will work. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good uh, name for it, too. Um, but, like, when you have, see, it's, it's different because when you have, like, when you don't have anything, going from zero to one is one thing. But then, all of a sudden, when you're at one, you have a customer base. You have um, you have the things that either are business or they can make a bigger business, and you know, primarily the customer base. And so... You now have this group of people that have bought from you that have invested with either time or money into what you have to say and sell. So you have an obligation to serve them to your full capacity. And you don't serve them by giving them what you want. You serve them best by giving them what they want. Yes. And and so that's like that is the next logical step for scaling anything. And so that's why we added, you know, variations of, of our programs. So or not variations, but that's why we added um, the additional programs in the order that we added them. Um, and then, you know, a lot of people wanted a cookbook. A lot of people struggled with uh, hitting the macros for the, the program in the appropriate way, like getting enough protein, getting enough carbs, et cetera. Uh, so the next logical step was, all right, well, let's create a cookbook so they can hit their macros easier um, and actually eat delicious food doing it. So we did that. And then from there, it's just like, so then once you get to a certain point, it's more of just diagnosing what your weaknesses are, which you were talking about. Like, you know, is average order value my weakness right now? Is it retention? Like, what is it? And so from there, one of the things that we noticed pretty early on that we didn't end up addressing for a couple of years down the road was uh, the retention with the business and just multiple repeat purchases. Uh, And to use an, an example here, a lot of people, actually like 80 to 90% of our customer base would only buy one fitness program. So in our in our minds, we kind of mapped out this elaborate track of, okay, so regardless of who you are, we're going to use a survey funnel. We're going to help you diagnose where you need to start. And you can start there. And then there's going to be this really logical linear sequence that you're going to follow to go from one program to the next to the next. And the problem with that is that people would buy the program not necessarily the one that they should start with, but they bought the program that would help them get the body that they wanted at, you know, in the end of it. And so they would buy the program, they would use it, they would get crazy results because the stuff works, and then they would have the body that they wanted, and there wasn't a need for them to go on. So hmm. it, was, it was it was a really interesting problem in, in that the programs were too effective to <laughs> yeah, I was say, maximize it too well. Yeah, which is like usually like never a bad problem. Um, but it didn't lend itself to any continuity or um, any repeat purchases. And so then we just, we honestly, like what we did is we surveyed our customers and said, hey, do you use supplements right now? Because in the beginning of KinoBody, we were pretty against supplements because most people, they're like, they're spending two, $300 a month on supplements, but like they're still eating like shit and they're not working out right. So the supplements aren't really doing anything for them. And instead of taking supplements, what they should do is focus on their diet and their workout. 
um, provided you have both of those correct, i.e. the KenoBody program, then if you take supplements, they can have a bigger impact because you already have a foundation that you're doing correctly. So the next thing we looked at was that, uh, so we surveyed our customers and we asked who out of our customer base was actually using supplements, even though we only sold the information products. Turns out 90% of the people on our list use supplements. They just weren't using ours because we didn't have any. Hmm. And supplements are something that you can sell um, not only multiple supplements each month, but you can also subscribe and um, you take them every month through the duration of however long you're doing the workout program. Some people take them even when they're not working out. So then, so we just started looking at like, okay, so continuity and retention and um, in not necessarily average order value, but just the, the lifetime value of our customers was something that we wanted to address. And so then we started diagnosing how we could address lifetime value. Um, and that led us to create a supplement line. And now um, we just, uh, just before I left the company, actually, uh, we launched an apparel line as well. So now people are building these awesome bodies, they're getting shredded and um, lean and muscular. And now we have uh, a, a very premium line of apparel that they can buy after they bought the programs and the supplements that they can, you know, wear this apparel to show off their new physique. So very cool. Um, you know, so there's just different ways that we personally found in our company to um, to increase the lifetime value of our of our customer base, but in a in a really genuine, authentic way as well. We're not just trying to sell them like, hey, like you should start your own gym now because you're shredded. You know, it's so we we try to think of like what is the next logical step for them and what are they using right now uh, that is you know obviously like related to our business and how can we make a better version of that that we can sell our customers instead of. Uh, promoting somebody else's product or having them go somewhere else for a solution that we could manufacture and keep in-house. I, that's such a, a brilliant point. Um, I think I, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Tom, you have said it all. I want to give you an opportunity to plug your next thing because I'm sure it will be awesome. Ruggednaturals.com. Tell me about it. Oh, yeah. So, um, so this is a natural personal, personal care product brand for men. Um, so really what I did is, uh, I looked at it's an interesting point that you made earlier to just solving problems that you have natively. Um, our, the second company that I, I co-founded was called truth Neutral, and it basically helped, uh, it, we created natural alternatives to pharmaceuticals out there. Um, and so that kind of opened the world, uh, to me around male practice and manufacturing and how, um, a lot of companies will sacrifice quality of a product or not use natural ingredients to and instead use either synthetic or chemical-laden ingredients that are cheaper to manufacture. And it basically, like, long story short, it helps increase profit margin to the detriment of somebody's health. And I looked at, you know, so I take certain supplements every day, but then I started to look at, like, what else do I use every day? And, like, deodorant, bar soap, uh, face wash I use almost every other day, um, cologne, like the things that are in the personal care space, I use every day. And then I started looking at the things that I, that I was using for deodorants and um, colognes and soaps. And I realized that a lot of them have chemicals that, first of all, I can't pronounce. Second of all, they're not natural. And third, um, there's some pretty negative research linked to all of them. So um, I decided to fix the issue myself and create better versions of all three of those in addition to a few other products. And so uh, that company is now Rugged Naturals. I'm going through the formulation process right now for the first three products. And I should be launching around January to February, I want to say. So it's just going to be really good, effective personal care products for men. That's fantastic. I look forward to checking that out. I got to get on your email list for when it comes out. Uh, Tom, where can people go to learn more about you? Um, I Honestly, at this point, I would just say ruggednaturals.com. Okay. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Tom Ness. I'm uh, 
I'm kind of like more behind the scenes marketer dude. I've never really been the face of a company. Rugged Naturals is going to be the first company that I'm more um, in front of rather than just kind of a mastermind marketer behind. So congratulations. It is a, I think you'll have a ton of fun with it. (laughs) I, yeah, I think so too. So I'm excited, man. It's the next chapter. It's, uh, it's different, but you know, it's at the end of the day, it's problem solving and creating cool products, doing, you know, fun things and serving people. So I think it's going to work out. I have no doubt you will be a success. Tom, thank you. Thanks a lot, man. One final note before we go. I wanted to remind you about the one Shopify theme my agency has used more than any other. It's called Turbo by Out of the Sandbox. And as its name implies, it's built for speed. But that's not why I love it. I love it because it's the most configurable, feature-packed theme for Shopify today. Features like predictive search, easy mega menus, infinite scrolling collections, and a ton of page templates. Calling it a theme doesn't do it justice. I think of it as a rapid prototyping tool for Shopify stores. And I've got a special offer for you. You can get it today at a 20% discount when you use the code PODCAST20. You can even try it for up to two weeks, and if you don't love it, Out of the Sandbox will give you a full refund. To check it out now, go to ethercycle.com slash turbo and use code PODCAST20 at checkout. That's ethercycle.com slash turbo. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, the unofficial ShopifyPodcast.com, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including some details you might have missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors. Please support our show by supporting them, and thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, and produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at EtherCycle.com. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high-quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.